Welcome to the new podcast for WGTS 91.9's Gateway Fellowship, a place that is about inspiring hope. You can find out more about us and hear more messages at MyGatewayFellowship.com. I have to admit that when uh, Chaplain Pete texted me yesterday, I was on the verge of, you know, going to New York. I hadn't made up my mind yet. And he said, I don't know if I'll be able to preach tomorrow, Dwayne, but I just want to know basically if you'll stand in the gap for me if I need you to. And, you know, I was like, well, Pete, I'm probably going to be going to New York, so I don't know if I can do it for you. And we talked a little bit, and I said, you know what? Decision made. If you need me, let me know. About two hours later, he texted me and said, my heart is just too heavy. Please, will you do this for me? And so I said, brother, I'll stand in the gap. About 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock last night, I left the hospital. I visited him and Sam for a bit before I came home. Hadn't really started on what it was going to be. Didn't know. The last thing I did was ask God before I fell asleep, what should I tell them tonight? What do you want me to say about faith? And he told me in a dream. It's really funny. If you look at my Facebook, uh, I don't really, you know, get too, too spiritual often on Facebook. But, you know, I woke up believing, I think, Joel 2.28, that uh, your young men will dream dreams or see visions. And he told me to tell about a story in the Bible of a woman with the issue of blood. And this woman's story was so powerful that it was in the Bible in three different places, specifically Matthew, Mark, and Luke. For those of you who are not Bible scholars, they call that triple tradition. And basically it means that all three of the uh, synaptic gospels wrote about the same thing. And uh, they're usually pretty close to the same. We're going to be looking at the Amplified Bible tonight. And we're going to focus on the passage in Mark Uh, chapter 5, starting with verse 24 through 34. And we're just going to read it together at first. It should be, And Jesus went with him, and a great crowd kept following him, and pressed him from all sides, so as almost to suffocate him. And there was a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years, and who had endured much suffering under the hands of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but instead grew worse. She had heard reports concerning Jesus and came up behind him in the throng and touched his garment. For she kept saying, if only I can touch his garment, I shall be restored to health. And immediately her flow of blood was dried up at the source. And suddenly she felt in her body that she was healed of her distressing ailment. And Jesus, recognizing in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around immediately in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And the disciples kept saying to him, you see the crowd pressing hard around you from all sides. And you asked me who touched me. But the Lord didn't let it go. He said, still, he kept looking around to see her who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had been done for her, though alarmed, and frightened and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And verse 34, he said to her, Daughter, your faith, your trust and confidence in me, springing from faith in God, has restored you to health. Go in, and they parenthetically mark, into peace, and be continually healed and freed from your distressing bodily ailment. There are many definitions for faith. You know, you read Hebrews 11, 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things 
not yet seen. If you read in the Amplified Version, it breaks it down even deeper so that you recognize in yourself exactly what it means to have faith or to be faithful. But I want to talk a bit about this story and this woman. And I want to start by saying, who is this woman? What do we know about her except for that she had an issue of blood? What does that mean that it could make the Christ, the Savior, stop in his tracks to find out who touched me? I studied a bit, and what I found out was the woman was probably about, you know, 35 or 40. She was a middle-aged woman. She was old enough to be married, but not elderly. She lived in Galilee near the shore where Jesus was traveling, probably in Capernaum. We don't know much about her family other than that they probably would have disowned her. The woman had been bleeding for 12 years, and during her time period, she was considered unclean. Verse 26 goes on to say, And who had endured much suffering under the hands of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but instead grew worse. Her physical condition was awful. Has anyone ever had to deal with an ailment for a month, two months, six months, a year? How horrible was it? Even with modern medicine, the poking and the prodding and the testing and the pain. How horrible was it? This woman for 12 years endured this ailment. She was considered unclean. One analysis compares the issue of blood to a fibroid tumor in the uterus. Now, gentlemen, I want to apologize. I'm going to get a little graphic. Uh, you may not be ready for this. What that meant specifically was that she had prolonged menstrual cycles. It meant that there was heavy, heavy bleeding, backaches, leg pains, frequent urina urination, pelvic pain, and pressure. For 12 years, this woman searched doctor to doctor, remedy to remedy, spend all that she had to try to rid herself of this horribly uncomfortable disease. It goes on to say her condition is chronic and the loss of blood probably meant anemia and physical weakness for her on a regular basis. Physically, she was destroyed. Emotionally, during her time, as I said, her ailment made her unclean. If she had a husband, she would have been forbidden to do certain wifely duties. Her husband probably would have left her. Her family would have no doubt abandoned her. She would have been all alone. She was financially devastated. She had spent all of her money trying to get better, and all she got was worse. When I read the story, I said mathematically, this Woman's life is the equation for desperation. Physically devastated, financially bankrupt, emotionally destroyed, and all alone. The bottom line is that this woman was desperate. She had tried everything until she got to the point of desperation. But verse 27 says that Jesus is the answer. Amen. It says she had heard the reports concerning Jesus and she came up behind him and the throng and touched his garment. Now, 
it's probably that this woman was Jewish. So it was surprising to me as I read the Bible and said she had heard the reports of Jesus, that she wasn't really intimately familiar with them, that it made me feel like she might not have had a real serious relationship with Christ because it makes it seem as if to her, Christ was some story or some myth or some legend. But she had heard all that he had done. And she became convinced that if she could do, if he could do these things for all these others, he could certainly do it for her. She was convinced that she wouldn't have to bother Jesus. But if she could just only touch the hem of his garment, then that would be enough. She didn't need to talk to him. She didn't need anything but to touch him. In her time, it would have been illegal for her to touch a man in public, being as that she was unclean. So to touch Jesus meant multiple risks. If I could just set the environment of where Jesus was at the time the woman came to him in this state of desperation. It says in verse 24, and Jesus went with him and a great crowd kept following him and pressed him from all sides so as almost to suffocate him. The atmosphere around Jesus was suffocating. It was dangerous. If I could put it in context, how many of you like to shop? Women, okay, I didn't see any men's hands go up. Let me, let me make it more contextual. On Black Friday, men, how many of you like to shop? Okay, one hand, y'all, that's when everything is cheap. You know what Black Friday is? Black Friday is the day after Thanksgiving where you can buy 50-inch TVs for $400. You hate to shop, Dave, but you can play beautifully, so you're all right. Don't worry about it. I like to shop on Black Friday. You can ask my family. I wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning. I sit outside with hot chocolate in Ohio and my chair and a blanket and, and hats and gloves, and I get the best deal Best Buy has to offer. But if you watch the TV, if you don't like to shop and you just look at the reports on the news, inevitably and horribly, tragically, on Black Friday, almost somewhere in the States, someone has died. They've died because the mob running into Walmart was so rabid that they didn't care about human life. They wanted to get close to something. They wanted to be the first to something. And so they stumbled and they trampled over whoever was beneath their feet. And inevitably, someone passes on that day. I picture the mob around Jesus being like a Black Friday mob. Furthermore, it would have been against the law. So the woman was taking a great risk. She was taking risk to breaking the rules, the laws of the time. She was taking the risk to death by the crowd. But she had gotten so desperate that the risk didn't matter. Have you been so desperate that the risk didn't matter? Have you said, I don't have anything else to try, so I'll do this? The woman was at a point of desperation. We sing a song here from time to time. This is the air I breathe, right? And we sing it just like this. This is the air I breathe, my daily, whatever. And then we say, I'm desperate for you. That's not desperate. This is desperate. And when we sing the words, I'm desperate for you, this is the kind of desperation that we should feel inside. A desperation that if we could only touch the hem of his garment, that we would be healed. That we don't need for him to acknowledge us. We don't need for him to sit and talk with us. We don't need for him to counsel us. If we could only be in his presence, if we could only just touch him, 
that all would be well. But we sing those words, faint of heart and void of true desperation. The reward for this woman was that she was satisfied. The scripture says in verse 29, and immediately her flow of blood was dried up at the source. And suddenly she felt in her body that she was healed of her distressing ailment. What I didn't dwell on earlier is that all these years, all these doctors that she went to and paid all this money to, they weren't even trying to figure out her problem. They were only treating her symptoms. So if fever was a result of what was happening, they would treat her fever, but never fix the problem. She touched the hem of his garment and her problem was healed, not just the consequences of her problems. When Jesus healed, the Bible shows him playing an active role in the process. So this situation is unique. Do you understand that? Because he was not active in this healing. When the, when the, when the, when the water was turned into wine at the wedding, Jesus said, do it. When he said, pick up your mat and walk or run, it was done. This woman didn't speak to Jesus and he didn't speak a healing over her. She touched him. And it's so crazy because the word says, um, and Jesus recognizing in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around immediately in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? Jesus didn't send out the healing, but he recognized the power had been taken. That is very unique. That is not something that we read often in the Bible. Are you aware of that? So what kind of faith did she have? What kind of power did one mortal hold that she could touch Jesus and from him his power was taken without a single word being spoken by him? Jesus was busy. He was on his way to heal someone after all when the woman touched him. He could have kept going. This person was already at the point of death. But there was something special about this event. Jesus had to dwell on it for just a moment. Imagine your touch giving Christ a reason to pause. What power is it that could have that impact on Jesus? So he stops and he asked, who touched me? We'll skip the next couple verses. You know, the disciples, you know, sometimes they were clowns. I can imagine them saying, mean who touched you? Do you see what's going on around us? Who touched you? People are always touching you. Why is it a big deal now? Who touched you? I don't know who touched you. Come on, man, let's go. We got somewhere to go. We're going to heal somebody. Let's go. But Jesus ignored all that, right? And it says in verse 33, but the woman, knowing what had been done for her, though alarmed and frightened and trembling, fell down before him and told him, the whole truth. <laughs> She's just been healed. But instead of the joy and excitement you would think she would feel, she was frightened. She was frightened because of the impact of the power of Christ. The fact that she felt a touch would take place. And, 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 and the, there's lots of analysis done on it. It wasn't like she pulled on his main garment. It wasn't if she touched his hair or his hand. She touched just a tassel that was hanging on something that was draping over what he was wearing. I don't think she intended to be recognized by Christ. But she made him take 
a moment's pause and he said, who did it? The disciple said, brush it off, let's go. He said, no. And he's looking around to find out who it was. And now a woman who we would think would have been excited and joyful and exuberant is afraid and she's trembling and she falls down. I can imagine her telling the story. Well, God, I, I've been going through some really horrible stuff. Um, I've been bleeding for 12 years. I don't have any money. I don't have any family. I don't have a husband. I'm isolated. I'm alone. And I heard about you, Christ. I heard that you were so powerful and that you had the power to do so much. And I thought that just only if I could touch you, that you would do something for me. Afraid of Christ at this point, not knowing what to expect. The most beautiful part of this story is Christ's response. When Christ had heard all she had to say, he responded simply as a loving father would in this situation. Remember that we know nothing of this woman's family. She was isolated all alone and probably hadn't heard a loving word in over a decade. And Christ responds by saying to her, daughter. Wow. Afraid, trembling. Had not been loved had been outcast for all intents and purposes. And the first word spoken to her by this man was daughter. The Savior said to her, daughter, your faith, your trust and confidence in me, springing from faith in God, has restored you to health. Go in peace. And I love the Amplified Bible because it says parenthetically, into peace. The Lord said, I want you to go into a state of peace. You have been feeling turmoil and despair and tumultuous feelings and tragedy for the last 12 years of your life. I give you permission. Go into peace. And I want you to understand tonight that we may be in a desperate situation, but that faith born of desperation is nothing to be ashamed of. One of the most powerful stories of faith in the Bible is faith born of desperation. You may look around at your financial situation and say, this is horrible. I don't know how I'm going to pay the car note, the mortgage, the insurance, whatever it may be. And you get desperate. You may look at health problems and medical ailments and cancer and you see death all around you and you see despair and family and friends and you hurt as they hurt. But there is faith born of desperation. Christ allows for us to be desperate. If you read this and you look closely at this story, you recognize that the woman has done what? She has tried everything else before she tried Jesus. She has gone to a thousand doctors. She has spent every last cent she has. But it wasn't until she had done all of that that she said, I've heard about this Christ. And I'm desperate enough to try him. Help my unbelief. This woman is the quintessential picture of unbelief. Why try everything else before you come here? 
She went to Christ as a last resort. When if she had only gone to Christ first, the outcome could have been the same, but much sooner. I'm not here to promise you tonight that the outcome will be as happy as it was for this woman. I love Pete and I love his mom, but I pray that Christ's will be done and not our will. And I pray that if Christ's will is not our will, that he aligns our will with his will in every situation. Those things are hard to say and they're harder to hear. The song says, blessed be the name of the Lord. On the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. Sometimes life will give us frustration. It will put us into a state of desperation. But Christ calls us even then to have faith and come to him. Christ could have gone on. He could have kept walking. But I think what we're missing is the Lord saw a place for a testimony. He could have let her go. You were healed. You touched my garment. It's over. It's done. You go home. I'm going to go heal this little girl because I got business to tend to. But in this crowd, this massive throng of people surrounding him, he said, I say this in the name of God who touched me. Because he wanted her to tell these people her testimony. Her testimony that a woman who had endured a menstrual flow for 12 years as a last resort, approached Jesus for healing. Jesus pressed her to testify of her healing and then spoke a blessing of wholeness to her life. He didn't just say, be healed, go. He said, and continue to be healed and be freed of this ailment. Go in to peace. If God has rescued us, From a disastrous circumstance, from our sin, we should also testify for the benefits of others. Everybody in our families and all who are our friends may not read this story in the Bible. They may never pick up a Bible. The only Bible that some of our friends and family will ever read is the testimony of our lives. And so Christ gave the people in the crowd that day a testimony. He said to them, true faith is sometimes born of desperation. That if you look at the situation, you need not always come into my presence and speak with me, but just a touch from the master, just a touch can make your life whole. How you define faith, how you approach faith, how you let faith be expressed in your life is personal. Rather, your unbelief is helped through faith born of desperation or faith born of seeing the miracles of God. Whatever it is, the Lord calls us to have faith because it says in Hebrews as well that without faith, it is impossible to please God. You may know the name Chuck Colson. And he said this about true faith. He said, true faith depends not upon mysterious signs, celestial fireworks, or grandiose dispensations from God, who is seen as a rich, benevolent uncle. True faith, as Job understood, rests on the assurance 
that God is who he is. I ask you tonight, Gateway Fellowship, to find your expression of faith and to know that if Christ has called you by means of desperation, that you need not be ashamed. For sometimes we think of hitting rock bottom and we're still too proud to get on our knees and ask Jesus for help because we think he'll say, well, you're only asking because you're desperate. I'm saying to you here tonight, Lord, in front of these people, I am desperate for you. And I encourage you to cry out to Lord that you're desperate for him too. Thank you. Wherever life's journey is taking you, we hope you can find a home at Gateway Fellowship, a ministry of WGTS 91.9. We'd love for you to visit us sometime. Services happen each Saturday evening at 6. You can learn more about us and get more podcasts at mygatewayfellowship.com.